Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. As many of you already know, we started the season of Lent on Wednesday, and that's for, for those of you that don't know what Lent is, it's not Lent as in what's in your, your belly button, it's Lent. I got some of you on that one. I'm working out on my dad jokes. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Lent. And in the Lenten season, this is what we've, we've branded in, in, in the broader scope of our preaching calendar to always preach during the Lenten season, to, to take the opportunity to take a deep dive into the life and work of Jesus, Jesus in particular, to uncover new truths, hidden truths, deeper truths, and perhaps we've been exposed to about the person and work of Jesus. And this year, our team decided that we would take an in-depth look at the compassion of Jesus in the Gospels. And so we're calling this series, Who Cares? Who Cares? If, but with that, would you join me in prayer as we commence our service and our sermon? Lord Jesus, we are humbled to be called your people. The fact that you had compassion on us and you came while we were still sinners and you died for us. Lord, we're moved and we're challenged by the words in, that you share with us in your scriptures. Would you, um, would you speak to us today? For those of us that are navigating faith, would you bring us one step closer would you reveal yourself to us? Would you join us here in this very moment? We ask in your name. Amen. All righty. So this morning, I want to I do something a little different, okay? Some of you guys might like different. Some of you guys might not like different. But I'm going to take everybody back to Sunday school. Will you come with me back to Sunday school? All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a nursery rhyme, okay? And you're going to finish it. Can we do it? You guys ready? Okay. It says this. Jesus loves the little children. All the... There we go. There we go. Why don't we have more people singing up here on Sundays? You just exposed yourself. This is the reason I'm doing this. How about this one? He's got the whole world. He's got the whole... There you go. Now, there's no excuse. You guys know those songs. There is no excuse why everybody here should not be serving in, in Kids of Hope. There we go. There we go. Come on. Come on. Oh, think with me for a moment. Those songs, what do, they, what do they have in common? Same word, the world. That Jesus loves the world. God loves the world. The children in the world. He's got the whole world in his hands. Think about the, the, the most famous Scripture that we can think of, John 3.16, for God so loved the, the world, right? Now take just a step back with me. Think about the situation of our world today and ask yourself, does he? Does he still love the world? And if he does love the world, do you still believe that wholeheartedly? 
after you look at it. You see, alongside all the, the immense beauty and wonder that we find in creation and the goodness that God instilled in our world, we find coexisting alongside it a whole lot of evil, right? A whole lot of brokenness. And it feels like just when we reach the, the pinnacle of crazy in our world, a whole new crisis comes upon us. I mean, we just, we just lifted up Ukraine last Sunday. All the terrible things that those poor people are going through this very day. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about families in our church that we have literally, we have literally buried because of the pandemic. Wives and, and children that have been left fatherless. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one praying, Lord, will this world ever go back to normal? I mean, will, will it ever, will there ever be another normal? Will there be peace? See, when I ask you this question, if God loves the world, I want you to know that I wholeheartedly believe that he definitely does still love the world, despite everything that's going on. Jesus himself said this in John 16, a verse that we've often quoted here that manages this tension of beauty and, and, and trauma and trouble, where Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He said you will have trouble, but take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. Interesting thing, he said that before he rose from the dead. He knew he was going to rise from the dead. That's how, that's how sure it was. He'd already overcome the world. The second that he decided, that God decided he would make himself flesh in our midst, that's the moment that he overcame the world, in that moment. This weekend, I want to introduce to you a similar verse, but different, a little bit different in its scope, where uh, really it's our, actually it's our theme verse for this whole series, and we always have a theme verse that we'd like everybody to memorize, and it's 2 Corinthians 1, three to f- verses 3 to 4. It's going to be on the screen. I'd like if we would just, um, if we would say it all together. There's something powerful about a, as a congregation, all of us, reading Scripture together. So I'm going to count us off. We're going to read it together. One, two, three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There's a lot of opinions about God out there, aren't they? And you ask 100 people, they might have 100 different things about who they think God is. But Paul, having lived a life of ministry, having lived a life dedicated to the service and work of Jesus, this is what Paul said God had revealed himself as to him. He said, the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, the one who comforts us in all of our trouble. And then he adds one more, I think out of personal experience. He says, so that we can comfort others. The comfort that we receive from God is not just selfishly for us. It's so that we can go out into a broken world, into a lost world, and give them the same comfort that Jesus has given us. And so in this series that we're titling, Who Cares?, we want to show you the heart of Christ for the world. 
That's really what's behind this series. Who cares for our world? Who cares for the brokenness that's all around us in our world? Who cares for the poverty that stares us in the face? Every single day, God does. God cares. And if God cares, then we need to care as well. And it all starts by seeing people the same way that God sees them. Let me show you what I mean by that. Today we're going to read from Luke 15. We're going to start in uh, verse 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 to, through uh, verse 24. So if you want to take out your Bibles, or it's going to be on the screen, or your COH app, however you like to do it. It's a longer portion of Scripture today, but one thing we, we like to say at Community of Hope is that um, the Scripture isn't like a subset of the sermon. The public reading of God's Word is its own thing. It's its own thing. It speaks its own words. And so I challenge you to follow along and just be moved by the words and ask the Lord to speak to you as we're reading. Starting in verse 1 of Luke 15, Jesus says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8, or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the shares of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed Attend him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here, I'm starving to death. I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And there he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Amen. Incredibly moving portion of scripture. A window, really, into the personality of Jesus and his heart for people that don't know him at all. If you're new to the Bible, Jesus spoke in what's often called parables. And a parable is simply a story that Jesus would would create to depict and convey a larger spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. And here with these three parables, Jesus, he's in a sense reframing the common religious assumption about what God's disposition is towards people who have no idea who he is, towards people who are lost. And while some Jewish leaders, and I think while even us, we would assume, right, that God offers forgiveness to people who come to him, who repent. It was completely novel for Jesus in those days to actually present to his Jewish colleagues there, really, that there's a God who not only accepts sinners when they come to him, but literally seeks them out. So Jesus, in this final parable of the lost son, and this is really where we're going to spend most of our time because it's the parable where Jesus takes all of the themes and he expands on it. He creates the the, the most shockingly offensive, the most egregious telling of a father-son relationship in the first century that was unimaginable, really. It's all the details are on purpose. And let me show it to you because sometimes it's hard to see because we're just so, we're so far removed from that culture. By asking for his inheritance, the son is saying, dad, I wish you were dead already. Give me my money. It's literally what he was saying. Because you wouldn't receive the inheritance in those days until after your father was deceased. He said, give it to me now. By saying he went to a a distant country, Jesus implied that he left his Jewish, his Jewish culture, his family, which would have been very disrespectful. And he adopted a pagan culture and pagan ethics. By saying he squandered it with wild living implies all sorts of immorality. Jesus even tells us he was tending pigs. And if you know about Jews, right, and especially in those days where they followed the letter to the T, a pig would make you, if you were around a pig, it would make you cultically unclean. So he couldn't even come back home at this point until he went through all sorts of rituals to get clean. He was tending pigs. And even after that, Jesus says that while he was still a long way off, the father ran. He didn't, he didn't walk. He didn't like sprint walk. He, he ran. And the details are on purpose because in those days, an elderly Jewish man would not run, especially for a disrespectful son. 
It was a breach of his own dignity. And the picture that we get is that the father breached his own dignity to restore the dignity of his son. I mean, just all the details are in there to just shock you. If you were a first century Jew, you would have been like, Jesus, you are nuts. This father should have like disowned this kid. Man. But every single detail is included to show us the lens, how God sees people who don't know him, who don't know him at all. See, here's what I find interesting. In a study that was done some years ago by some sociologists at Baylor University, they, they conducted a survey to see how they thought people, how people thought God saw them. And here are the findings of the survey. 40, 47% of the respondents who did this survey, they believe that God was either primarily an angry judge and angry at them or extremely critical of humanity. I mean, which, I mean, that sort of disheartens me as a, as a Christian pastor because you can just read the pages of the Gospels and you notice that's not Jesus' heart. And so in this, in this chapter, we find three different stories, and I believe that Jesus is hinting at a few things to tell us, to let us in at what his heart truly is for those who are lost. So first of all, here's an interesting thing that I think sometimes we have to convince ourselves of. First of all, Jesus shows us that lost, being lost, is actually a thing. It's actually a state of being. Now, some of you, excuse me. Some of you know this by personal experience, right? We all have that one person in the home that's known for losing absolutely everything. Do we have them here? We love you anyways, if that's you. Actually, my brother and my dad are here, and I'm, sometimes if your family's here, you don't poke fun at them, or perhaps it's the perfect opportunity. <laughs> one of those two. I'm going to go with the latter. Growing up, my, uh, my dad would lose his wallet all the time, and, but my mom... And he would then say, no, my mom loses everything because she'd always frantically look for her glasses only to find them an hour later on her head the whole time. I mean, this happened multiple times. I'm not even kidding you. So there's a debate whether my mom or my dad. But today in my home, Giselle wants me to claim the prestigious title of the one who loses everything. (laughs) And that's because I lost my wallet once Only once, only once, and it was while we were on vacation, but you know what? That is all she needed to say that I lose it all the time. If she were here, she would say, yep, you lose it all the time. We haven't settled that one. When is Gary Chapman coming back again? (laughs) Anyways, now how many of you you guys ever lost your wallet? I mean, it's a terrible thing. I mean, just calling the card companies and being there for an hour with an operator is a horrible thing. I lost my wallet once, and it was when we were flying back home from North Carolina. And here's the worst part about it, okay? And this is why I honestly haven't lost it again, because I was flying domestically, so I didn't have a passport. I had my ID in my wallet, which was now displaced. And so as a result, I had to go through a TSA screening. And that TSA screening included a most lovely (laughs) pat-down. That was by far the most invasive procedure I have ever experienced. I, I am so scared to lose my wallet again when I travel. I have not lost it again. Praise the Lord. My goodness. See, we have no problem accepting, yeah, we can lose items. 
We can lose things. Things get lost. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that people are lost? Do you believe that people can be lost? Here's an interesting study by the Barner Group. About 95 to 97% of practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means witnessing to others about Jesus and that knowing Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to somebody. 95 to 97% agree. They nod their head. Conversely, almost half of all the millennials that took that survey, about 47% believe that it's wrong to share your personal beliefs with somebody, especially people of differing faiths. See, here's what we've done. We've, in a sense, we've privatized our faith, right? We've made it our own private faith. We've really made it about morals and behavior. And if people share those same morals and behaviors as we do, well, then I guess they're, they're okay. I mean, they're not lost. We're all fine. I mean, haven't you, haven't you heard, you ask somebody, you good person? Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. Maybe come to church a couple times a year, right? You know, maybe think about your, your perfect neighbor, nice guy, nice family, nice career, has a great lawn, seems real organized, right? Yeah, that guy's not lost. Sounds like a harsh term, doesn't it? But I want you to know that lostness has nothing to do with being a good person. Plenty of good people in this world that are still lost. You see, Scripture teaches that the best person in this whole world is still lost without Jesus. They're still lost. And in these parables, we find that God has a unique lens for looking at the world, and it's not in terms of right and wrong or good and bad. Jesus says that God sees the world in terms of lost and found. Lost and found. And that's why the question really isn't, are you a good person? Jesus is implying, have you been found? Have you been found by him? Which brings us to our second point that being found, law being lost is a thing, but being found is also a thing. For context, can we just reread Luke 15, 20 to 24, where it says this, so he, being the younger son in the distant country, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was, key word, he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, if this just doesn't make you jump for joy and just shout from the top of your lungs, I mean, nothing can. The emotion of a, of a father running to his son who's been gone for Lord knows how long and literally, literally squandered his own living, comes back home and is embraced by his father. Literally, literally the picture of God's mercy to you, to me, to each and every one of us. 
It reminds me of when I was a younger kid on, my, on the block. We had a lot of kids that lived in our block, in our, in our, when my, the home growing up, excuse me. And after school, we'd go outside and we, we'd have a great time. We'd all play. And there was this one particular family that had a very interesting system, you could put it, to finding their kid. So when we were all done, maybe about 6 o'clock, mom would come out and she would whistle really loud. And, I mean, we had kids on like maybe three or four different blocks. And so sometimes we'd be three or four blocks out. And you would hear that whistle four blocks out. It was that strong. I mean, it'd, it'd blow the speakers here. She was so loud. And then he would hear it and he would just yell, I'm going, I'm on my way. And he would go back home. And it was a, it was a system that worked until, until she whistled and he didn't come home. She whistled again, and he didn't come home. She knocked on doors. Nobody knew where her son was, and he was probably about 11 or 12 at the time. And at that moment, we all went crazy. She started knocking doors. Everybody manhunted for this kid. I mean, you go that way, I go this way. The urgency of losing a child, the horror stories that we as parents hear I mean, imagine what she was going through, and we all looked for this kid for at least 30 to 45 minutes, then lo and behold, she found her son, she, was, she ran to him, she embraced him. She was in tears. Obviously, she thought she had lost her son. Now, she was Cuban. She was going to give him a chancleta, a Cuban sandal later. She was going to do that. But in the moment, in the moment, she ran and she embraced her son. Think with me for a moment. The urgency, the longing, the celebration of that moment of finding a child, finding your child whom you thought was lost but is now found, that is, that is the picture of what God feels when a sinner comes to repentance, when you and I give our hearts to him. Think with me for one more moment. For those of us who do profess the name of Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, do you remember when you were lost? Do you remember those moments? Here's another interesting question. Do you remember being lost? I think a lot of people would answer that no. Because you only knew you were found. You you only knew you were lost once you were found. And if you're here this morning morning and you're navigating faith and you're you're not even quite sure what in the world I'm talking about, I want you to know Jesus is trying to find you. He's trying to get your attention this morning. He's knocking. He's trying to show you his kingdom. His way is so much better than what this world has to offer. And you might think, you know what? Jesus doesn't know what I've done. But here's what Jesus says. Sin is not a disqualifier, but actually a prerequisite for his kingdom. Look what he says in Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous, he says. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we would ask, who cares? Who cares for the brokenness, the lostness, the people who don't know Jesus in our world? God cares. God does. And if God does, then we need to as well. John, Like I said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. 
For whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, we repeat that verse. Again, even people that don't go to church probably have heard that verse on occasion. And I think that there's a very small percentage of us that would not agree with that, but we don't care, right? We all care. We all want to care. I think our real struggle is manifesting that care. It's doing it. How and when. And so today, while today the sermon was, was a bit broader because we're, we're really teeing up the sermon series, God sees the world lost and found, right? We have to care. God cares for the lostness in our world, these big ideas that we're setting up. Over the next six weeks, we are going to get extremely practical, extremely practical, not only talking about the heart of Christ for the lostness of our world, but literally how you and I can be the hands and feet of Jesus for the lostness in our world. And so I challenge you not to miss it at all. I hope that the Lord spoke to you today. God really cares about the lostness of our world. So would you just be thinking about that as you encounter the lostness in your job, in the streets, whatever your context is, Listen for the Holy Spirit, little nudges that he's given you. And you'll see what he can do. Hey, if you need prayer after service, we do have our prayer team standing by. On my back left, your back right corner in the prayer room, they're there to serve you. This time, would you stand? I'd love to just read over a, ben- a blessing as we, uh, we leave our church this morning. If you want to close your eyes and take a posture of prayer. Um, Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth were separate from Christ but now in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ God bless you have a great Sunday we'll see you next week thanks church